Hello, this is the 61st edition of WFAE Talks, our podcast that looks behind the scenes of some of the stories our reporters do. I'm Greg Collard, the news director, and with me is assistant news director, Lisa Worf. What are you doing there, Lisa? You're messing with the phone levels. Yeah, they were, too, they were too loud for me, so now they're about right and yeah. probably uh, too low for your, Sarah. Your hands were coming over. You were distracting me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we can start over. That's okay. Uh, but the, the other voice you hear is uh, or, or laughing, chuckling a little is Sarah D'Elia, our arts reporter. And Sarah, hello, Sarah. Oh, hello, Greg. <laughs> the one thing, it's interesting, uh, a week and a half, two weeks ago, you were you mentioned how you've never been on Charlotte Talks and sure. and uh, you, you've only been on WFAE Talks once and that was the first week you were here <laughs> yes. and now since then you were on charlotte talks today i know and you're and we already had planned for you to be on wfae talks today after you had said that and guilted me into, into <laughs> no, that's the only didn't. reason i'm here <laughs> not really um you did something different this week and went down to south carolina and did a story on the uh, controversy over the video in the school in which a school resource officer flips a student over and gets pretty physical with her right and, uh, so tell us tell us about that what was interesting you just i got to give you credit we some uh, you didn't hesitate to go down there something different than what you're used to doing and uh, you did a great job thanks mm-hmm. thank you um it was um it was good to do. I always like doing different things. Um, but, yeah, we on Tuesday got the news about this video that had essentially gone viral. And it shows, if you haven't seen it, uh, a school resource officer approaching a student who's, you know, not uh, – who's refusing, who was disruptive and is refusing to leave her desk. He goes up to her, uh, puts his hands on her, around her neck kind of uh, that area – and then essentially flips her desk backwards and then half drags her, kind of half throws her across the room, turns her on her stomach and uh, arrests her for being mm-hmm. disruptive, which is something you can do in South Carolina in schools. Yeah, there's a you mentioned there's a there's a law that addresses this. Right. Uh, sheriff Leon Lott, who's uh, the Richland County Sheriff, he attributes a lot of what happened this week to this law that he doesn't necessarily agree with. It's called the disrupting schools law. That's what he's referred to it as. And it basically says that if you are disrupting a classroom, you're a student. Um, if the teacher deems your, your behavior disrupting, uh, they can call a student resource officer in and you can be arrested. And there are no guidelines as to what exactly disrupting means. It's very broad. So, you know, it, it's up to the teacher to decide that. Now, the school – the officer has been fired. I think most people listening to this know that by now. Why was the officer fired specifically? The officer was fired because he was uh, not following protocol and department policy. What specifically was the policy that he broke was this maneuver that he did on this young woman. He uh, flipped her, put his hands on her in such a way that was considered excessive. So uh, it wasn't – illegal for him to put his hands on her. It wasn't illegal for him to even arrest her. But in the manner that he did it, um, it was deemed excessive and not part of the training that they provide for these student resource officers. And what is that training? The training uh, involves a bunch of different things. The two uh, different techniques that Sheriff Lott said that would have been better to use in this situation is one, to verbally de-escalate the situation. I mean, you see in the video that the officer... uh, very quickly approaches the student and essentially in so many words says, we can do this easy way, we can do this the hard way, 
she doesn't get up immediately and they do it the hard way. Um, and so he said that there could have been an opportunity for more verbal, uh, more of a verbal conversation, maybe deescalate the situation before it even got physical. The other thing that they're trained to do is something called pain compliance, which is uh, basically pressure points that you can administer to students to get them to move. That's intriguing. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound pleasant either. Uh, yeah, but you know, no details about that, about where, where the, we could just assume. We can just pre- assume pre- right pre- now, pre- yeah. yeah. Lisa, have you ever run across things or problems of, of how CMS deals with students who are disruptive? I've never heard something on the complaint level of, of that. I mean, there's certainly a lot of school resource officers in, in CMS, nearly all middle and, and high schools. Um, but I've never heard something on the level of that. And as far as, you know, I'm curious, it makes me curious how many arrests in schools there are every year here in the district. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, that that is certainly something that happens, I imagine. Yeah. And and from digging around on the CMS website, I mean, there is a page that talks about these student um, resource officers that we have here in Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. But there's really, to my knowledge, not uh, the policy's not online of, as what they can and cannot do. So um, it seems that, you know, that's something definitely worth looking into. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, just uh, my son, I remember when he was in middle school, I think it was his eighth grade year, all throughout the year, a student who had I'm not. I'm not sure what I forget what he did, but he there was an officer that followed this student everywhere he went, and he was in the class <laughs> wherever this student yeah. went. Yeah, uh, I, I've heard, I've heard stories like that too. I mean, you know, a kid has to go to school, and um, if that kid is thought of as a liability. Mm-hmm. They have an officer well. pretty close on them, which is disconcerting. Like, okay, if, if this kid requires an officer everywhere he goes, I mean, is that should should our should our kids be around that? Yeah, around a kid deemed that dangerous. But I think there's also an argument to be made that just having the presence of that officer in the school sets a tone of they're they're looking for things. They're you know, I've read articles where some students feel like. You know, I I feel like they're looking, waiting for some the bad thing to happen. Just the presence of that officer can maybe impact how a student a student's environment in that school. Did that off was that officer there all the time? Or, yes. Or, okay, he was I actually mean, well, stationed at the school, or they look, yes. bring him in. He, um, I believe, he had been an employee at that school for seven years. And is that school something that, where there's a lot of problems, a history of problems, or? It looked like a really nice school. You were uh, from. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, a really nice uh, school. It's a really diverse school. Um, I don't, I'm not aware of the history of, of all the, if there are other problems that they've had. I I do know that, I mean, anecdotally, it seems a lot of people have come forward and have talked about the reputation that this officer in particular has. But it's also intriguing to me that he, he won an award as a school resource officer too. Yeah. And, um, and the award that he won, um, somebody asked about that at one of the press conferences that I went to, um, and they said, what, what, you know, this guy, it's like, um, I forget the name of the award, but you don't have to be a student resource officer to get this award, but basically you have to display a good relationship with students. Um, you have to have examples of how you worked well with students, worked well with the staff. So, Yeah. <laughs> So when you went down there, was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Now was it is Tuesday? It was Tuesday. Tuesday. So you went you went down there four o'clock. You covered a and it was 
a lot of rain that day. Yeah. You covered a school district press conference. Yes. That was at four o'clock, five o'clock. You went to downtown Columbia and covered uh, the sheriff's press conference. Mm-hmm. And then at seven o'clock, you covered a school board meeting. Yes. Uh, so what was that's a school board meeting? Was it, um, it was, it was packed with an, it was in a school, middle school cafeteria. It was in a middle school cafeteria, a nice middle school. Um, and it was, it was a pretty packed room. It was hard to tell who was, there was a lot of media there. So it, I would say it was like half media and half <laughs> parents. Um, and yeah, but it was packed and it was basically, I mean, the school board, to their credit, they basically, you know, the first thing that they did, they had a bunch of stuff on their agenda um, and you know, not pressing stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that um, the school board member, Chip Jackson, did was he moved to just push all this stuff either to a later date or to do it later on in the meeting. And he said, "We all these parents are here. We need to talk about the issue. Um that happened at Spring Valley High School, and unanimously the board supported that motion. So, uh, parent, were, oh. were there strong feelings that this was uh, that this wouldn't have happened if someone was if, if this was to a white student? Uh, oh yeah, she she was she's African American. Student was the 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 officer was white. Was mm-hmm. there was that a prevailing? Uh, theme of the meeting of when when parents spoke up? Yeah, there was a variety of uh, reactions and there were multiple people that got up. Um, both a, a white gentleman got up and spoke and um, a couple of um, African-American males got up and spoke too. And they just said, you know, I have a really hard time believing that this is how um, a white student white female student would have been treated. Um, some people said race wasn't an issue um, and some people we're like, how can you not think it's a race issue? So it was all across the board. What happens from here? He's been fired. He's a football coach, assistant football coach. He's been suspended. We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, he's but, not coming back to the school. Oh, he's not coming he's back not, at all? No. Okay. He's not allowed back on school property. Okay. Yeah. W- what happens going forward? The FBI is investigating this for civil rights violations at the sheriff's uh, request. Anything else we know here about this case or what, what the school district's doing or anything? The FBI investigation is the big thing, um, and it was important to Sheriff Lott to have uh, this not biased outside entity to conduct it so that they could just present all the facts to, to parents and students. But really what the parents wanted, um, my takeaway from that school board meeting, is to better understand these policies with these student resource officers. They had a lot of questions and they did not get a lot of answers. And Tuesday night at the school board meeting wasn't necessarily the time to get those answers, but it didn't seem like there were clear, concise policies for what should happen like should this person have even been called to the classroom like that's debatable what they did has been deemed you know not appropriate but the question is well what do you do if a student is being disruptive is disrupting the whole classroom and the the teacher can't teach I mean that's a whole other issue too Mm -hmm. so I think right now we just have more questions and it's going to be really interesting to see what Spring Valley High School does because I mean you know not to be cliche but I think some healing needs to be done and some trust needs to be rebuilt between the parents and the school because a lot of parents <laughs> said, you know, I don't feel safe dropping off my kid at school. So, it, you know, this can happen to this young woman. What if um, a student resource officer doesn't like my kid for some reason, you know? There was there was some support for this officer from from a teacher, right? Would they? Oh, yeah. So the the teacher but the teacher that was in the room and the assistant principal that were in the room both gave statements that supported um officer fields why 
What was their reasoning? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's what we asked uh, Sheriff Lott at a press conference. One reporter was, you know, why after we all saw this video? And his answer to that was, well, we all have different truths and we all have different perspectives. And that's what these people saw. They saw that the student was being really disruptive, that there was no reasoning with her, that she was being disrespectful, and that it came to this point. Um, so I don't think anybody thinks that this was, you know, an ideal, and in a perfect world, this was not, this would not have happened. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody can agree with that. But some people are better. Or some people can see how Officer Fields got to the point that he did. And that's probably the principal and the teacher that were in the room. Do you know if that student's back in school now? I don't know. All right. Anything else on this? Anything Anything interesting takeaways you had coming back from this covering? Anything you've learned or just that the kind of some thought-provoking stuff percolating in your head as a result of covering this? Yeah, I just – I think it's really – there was kind of a sadness at the school board meeting because from the parents because it's been a really rough year for South Carolina. I mean, uh, between the massacre uh, and the shootings in Charleston, between the death of um, Walter Scott, the unarmed black man that was shot and killed by a white police officer, and the pretty devastating floods that South Carolina and the Columbia area has had. I mean, no one wants to be in the spotlight for negative media, but it. I feel like South Carolina feels like they're being punched while they're down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I also learned that uh, hotel closets make really good studios. Yes, you you, you uh, <laughs> saw a, a photo you uh, you posted of your uh, of your yeah. of your studio. And Greg's a great editor at like two a.m. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was I yeah, was uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed working with you on, on on that story, and thanks for your your hard work on this. Thanks for sure. Well, we also have an election coming up Tuesday. Not exactly the smoothest segue, but my way of saying let's go in another another conversation. Lisa, you've been co- or Sarah rather, you've been covering the uh, Peacock campaign mm-hmm. a lot. Seems like Jennifer Roberts, who does have a lead, she's playing things a little uh, safe. She's, uh, I think, it's fair to say she's uh, avoiding some appearances with uh, Edwin Peacock. Yeah, I think that's definitely safe to say last week tom bullock and i were updating the 15th floor podcast which is just our podcast that has long-form interviews with the candidates and she declined citing scheduling conflicts and she declined to be a part of a an overall story we were going to do with edwin peacock and jennifer roberts and well she didn't erase that um but she did decline an invitation by charlotte talks um, so it to be on with Edwin Peacock. To be on with Edwin Peacock. So, but you know, I think she's declined to be on with Tom one on one. So I don't know if she. I feel like she's kind of just declining. It mm-hmm. doesn't. He Edwin doesn't have to. Isn't the deal breaker? I don't think. I just think she's kind of avoiding interviews right now. So he had a. So he had a whole hour on Charlotte Talks then by himself. Did we learn? Yes. Did, did we learn anything else from that interview? Uh Or your interview with him. With my interview with him, we mostly talked about what he's going to need to do to get votes. Um, well, the story that I did, but um, I don't know. It's it's interesting because Edwin Peacock is is the underdog in this race. I mean, Charlotte is a Democratic city. It's very blue. Um, he's going to need to convince a lot of people um, that he's the guy, that he's mm. he's right for this. And during a non-presidential election cycle, it's difficult to get people mm. to come out and vote. Um but he's he's a passionate guy, and he you know is, is there some risk of him doing these interviews because he's talking more? So there's like you know there's more opportunity to pick apart what he's saying. But 
Um, he doesn't have a choice. He has to take advantage of any opportunity he exactly. has. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's he so far fifteen. Yeah. Well, if you believe the observer poll, fifteen points behind. Uh, that was as of a couple, couple weeks ago. Yeah. But no one seems to be doubting the validity of that poll. Yeah. There is a difference in how they seem to be and how they are during interviews. They're both on message, but she is, I think, is is a, a fair to say much more on you know, talking points. It seems harder to have a conversation with her than it is other candidates. Is that? I, yeah, they're, they're very, I think very much. I think that's fair to say. And when I covered her on the the primary um, runoff, she did just stick to to talking points too. And those talking points are basically, you know, bring jobs to Charlotte. Wants to make Charlotte better. Pretty standard broad stuff. And Edwin Peacock is, uh, I know he's been outspoken about voicing concerns over the streetcar. He has, and his, but his uh, big message is that he brings the Birkenstocks and the wingtips <laughs> together, um, really trying to get those voters who, right, are, are kind of on the yeah. on the fence, may yeah. usually vote Democrat, but yeah. uh, could be uh, swung over. So, and, and he's really vocal about uh, Charlotte's crime problem. That's been a big talking okay. part for him, talking point for him. Yeah, Birkenstocks and the wingtips. Together. It is a good it, line. <laughs> Greg's not convinced. No, I'm thinking. Uh, I, I always call him uh, Birkenstops. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not a fan. But anyway, that doesn't matter. It's not of any relevance here. Another election going on is the at-large seats for the CMS board. Depending on who gets elected there, how much can those races affect what the current school board is doing? So this is a race. Uh, Those results, between, rather. Yes. This is a race between uh, nine people. And so there will be uh, three who will who will get the positions. And really, I mean, the strongest differentiation, um, you know, many of the candidates, there's two incumbents that are running uh, at this point. Um, they, they say some similar things as far as, you know, we want uh, more diversities in school, diversity in schools when we're redrawing the, the boundaries um, that, you know, we're looking for a superintendent who is collaborative, you know, who, who listens, who does all these things, which you'd think most people yeah, would. Who doesn't want a superintendent like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, really sort of the big differentiation there is um, Jeremy Stevenson. He's the one Republican who's who's running. And, you know, he's he said uh, very strongly that, you know, I, I don't think that boundary lines should be redrawn uh, regarding, you know, race, socioeconomic uh, background, test scores, things like that. Um, and uh, then there's Larry Baumgartner, who is unaffiliated. He's he's run many times before and, um, you know, this says the same thing about student assignment. What and other candidates? Do they go the opposite? Are our, our, our candidates starting to sp- speak? I know we, up until now we've Heard a lot of the a lot of other candidates say the, the way to diversify schools is to have more partial magnets within homeschools. Is that still magnets? A, yeah, magnet schools discussion? in general. Yes, I, I mean everyone basically supports the expansion of magnet schools, and you know some people specifically support it because um, it does. The thought is that it brings more diversity and that that was the original intent of magnet schools. Many of them have not lived up to that standard, but that's been a big part of the discussion. Um, So how much do these partial magnets actually interact with the rest of the school? To me, I've I've always had this impression there. And and part of this is is knowing parents of other kids that uh, go to these schools that they're 
almost they're a separate school within the school and there's not very much interaction at all. That's been a big criticism. And uh, CMS recently hired a group called Magnet Schools of America to come in and review all the schools, the magnet schools. Mm-hmm. And that was something that they pointed out, that they said, look, the um, the sort of richness of the magnet school and the success of the magnet school within this larger um, school has not seeped over enough to those students uh, who may be, you know, part of the the larger school. Maybe it's a struggling school. You don't see uh, the programs, you know, being intertwined throughout the whole school, and you don't see uh, the test scores as high as those magnet programs. And that's something that has come up. How do you improve that? And even so, on I mean, paper, a school might look diverse with these programs, but in reality, they're really not. Uh, some, yeah, sometimes. And then even Erica Ellis Stewart, who's who's uh, on the uh, on the board at large right now and running again. Um, you know, she's, she said, look, even among magnet programs, uh, you, for example, you have an IB, um, at Myers park versus maybe the IB at Harding. And she's like, you know, those, those two programs are not the same, even though they're called the same, the, the quality, um, and the offerings are, are not there. The, uh, teacher accreditation as far as IB is, is not there. Um, so there's certainly a push at how do you strengthen these magnet programs? And then, you know, the question is how do you strengthen them without neglecting the rest of the schools, which, you know, most most CMS students do not go to magnets. Anything else you want to add before we go? I don't think so. You and the music. Oh. The music is up. <laughs> oh, okay. It's We're too late. late. No, uh, but, Link, but you are – it reminds me, though, Sarah. Uh-oh. I have a little assignment for you. I've been toying around. Maybe we ought to change the music and some. Oh. Of, and um, it's it's. I mean, I'll be the first to admit I didn't really put a whole lot of thought into this. So you're a big music aficionado. Yes. And I'm gonna <laughs> assign you to kind of give me some ideas to uh, change the music here. I'm really excited about this. I, I thought I thought you would be excited by it. This is an honor. All right. I'll take it very seriously. All right. Thanks, guys.